0: Praise the Lord, everybody. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. I, there you go. I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. And God is so good to us. God is so good. Amen. Uh, let's all stand. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I pray that you keep your hand upon us. God, let us study your word today. Let us put this to our heart, Lord, and God, whatever we do, let us draw closer to you. Every service that we're in, every time we come to church, help us to draw closer to you, Lord. Help us to move into that relationship with you that we see that if we get close to you, Lord, there's nothing we can't do. God, help us as a church body to love each other, to pray for each other. Use us, Lord, to worship you in unity so that when somebody walks into this church, they feel your power and your presence in their life. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody say amen. Amen. Brother Greg, if you give me a little bit more in my ear, I'd appreciate it. You may be seated. And uh, we've been talking about from reformation to repentance, and we've been talking about how that if we're not careful, we begin to rationalize, and when we rationalize, we begin to... Uh, become self-deceived When you rationalize the things of God You deceive yourself And all of a sudden you live by a different set of rules You you uh, kind of Let go of things And you think well I'm okay because I'm not as bad as and, and we start talking like that We're not as bad as so and so So we begin to look at other people And we feel pretty good because we're not as bad as They are And so we we kind of justify what we do Amen so uh, that, that's where we were at. We were talking about that. When uh, it comes to King David, King David, when he was confronted, uh, he, had to, he had to really search himself. And that's when he wrote the 51st Psalms, amen. And he began to repent. He began to ask God to forgive him. And he told about who he, who he sinned against. He said, I sinned against heaven, amen. I sinned against God. He knew who he sinned. He didn't just say, "I sinned." He knew he who he sinned against, and so uh, that was something that we were finishing up talking about. So, uh, when when excusing ourselves by blaming others for our sin, uh, it becomes a habit. When you start blaming others, when you start uh, excusing yourself, what's happening is is you begin to deceive yourself, and you uh, sin becomes a habit. It becomes a habit. It leads you to self deception which causes us to lose our capacity for clear moral reasoning. In other words, you you can't look at it the way God said it now. you got to put your slant to it, man's slant to it, society's slant to it, and, and you begin to accept certain things. So uh, with each act, now this is important. I want you to understand. With each act of self-will, our conscience begins to weaken every time you go against the word of God. When your self-will acts, like, well, I won't do this anymore after I watch this. After I watch this, I won't do it anymore. Every time you give in to your self-will, what begins to happen is, is that your conscience begins to get weaker. And eventually, you can keep watching that thing or you can keep doing that. Situ- keep doing those things. And now your conscience becomes weakened to the point where you think it's not that bad. And it's okay. God understands. And that's why it's so important that we understand that we have to live for God. We have to. Let God have, uh, get a hold of our hearts and say, I am not going to compromise. I'm not going to give in to these things. My conscience is not going to weaken. I'm going to let make sure that the devil doesn't sear my conscience with a hot iron to where what I know was wrong, when God convicted me of it, when I first got the Holy Ghost, when I first got baptized in Jesus' name, I'm not going to build again the things which I destroyed, the Bible says, thus far making me a transgressor, Amen. I'm not going to do that. I'm not just going to hang around on the fringe of God's presence in my life to where my conscience weakens, and then all of a sudden now, I can excuse it because it's not that bad. Amen? And so it's important that we understand it because in turn, it's harder to discern truth from error when your conscience begins to weaken. All of a sudden, you, you can't define those two. You can't differentiate between those two. When we rationalize our conduct, our lenses for viewing spiritual reality become scratched. They become dull, even hazy, and we formulate our own rules. Now, uh, I can say that because I just had cataract surgery, and they did the other eye, and And uh, the day after I got that surgery done, uh, I, I sat down in the chair, and my eye was still dilated a little bit, and they said, Uh, look at that chart and tell me what you see. And I read 2025. Never saw that well in my whole life. And out of the five letters on that 2020 row, I got two of those. Now, some of y'all say, why are you wearing glasses? Well, I'm really not. There ain't nothing in them. (laughs) The reason I have them on is because yesterday when I was speaking in California, I'm so used to adjusting my glasses, I about poked my eye out. So I took the lids out, put it on so I won't reach up because I don't want to damage what they just did to me. But when you have cataract, all of a sudden, everything's so dull. You don't know that. I didn't know I was that bad until I had it done. And it's like, wow, red's really red and blue's really blue. And, and man, I didn't know yellow was that pretty of a color. But you know what really is wow is white is really white. See, y'all don't know that. You wait till you get to be 62 years old, you'll know what I'm talking about. But I I used to think uh, our bathtub was an ivory color, it's white. (laughs) But see, what happens when you allow your conscience to become uh, a dull and you allow things in your life, all of a sudden, Everything that you see, you're viewing spiritual reality becomes, it's scratched. Your lenses are scratched or dull. It's a hazy. It's hazy. But now, man, when you come to God and you repent and you get rid of all that stuff and you get yourself out of the way, you get King me off the throne. All of a sudden, there's an old song called, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. How many of y'all have ever heard that? Boy, after I had cataract surgery, I told me y'all ought to do a parody on that. See, I can see clearly now the cataracts are gone. <laughs> if I could sing, I would make it. I'd probably make, get a bunch of hits on my video if I made a song about that, about cataracts. But what I'm trying to tell you is sometimes, even when I had cataracts for years, I have been compensating because I just thought that's the way it was. But it isn't the way it was. I had a, a, a something that was blocking me to be able to see clearly. And once they took the cataracts out, all of a sudden I could see things in reality the way they really are. And when you come to the place where you begin to deceive yourself because you no longer let God have complete control of your life, now all of a sudden you're seeing things hazy. The Word of God's hazy. Well, I don't really think that's what that means. I really don't think... It means that. All of a sudden we start trying to rationalize and then self-deception sets in. And now you just think that's just the way it is. When in reality it's not, you're just not willing to face it. You need to get on your face. You need to come to an altar. You need to pray through until God removes those spiritual cataracts. Amen. Amen. So King Saul had spiritual cataracts. That's what King Saul's problem. He had spiritual cataracts. He he just couldn't see the reality of what God was saying. And see, that's how a lot of people are. They'll come to God, and they're in and they're out. They're up and down, in and out, up and down, in and out. And no matter how much you encourage them, no matter what you try to say to them, no matter how you try to encourage them and help them, you know what, as long as they have spiritual cataracts, it don't matter what you say, it's not going to change a thing because everything's hazy. They've compromised so long, they've compromised so long that their conscience has become weakened. And it no longer affects them. It's like taking a rock and throwing it into a a, a fire. When we were Boy Scouts, we had to cook uh, our our meals over a fire in Dutch ovens and stuff. And you'd put those rocks in the bottom of the fire so you could put your skillet on it or your Dutch oven on it. And those rocks would just get, I mean, the fire is burning and they burn all night and then in the morning when you get ready to close everything up, those rocks have never, those, the wood that you burned is gone. Anything else that was perishable are gone, but those rocks were able to stay in that temperature stay and never be transformed, never lost their shape, never did change form because they have that ability to resist fire. They have the ability to risk that kind of an element that comes against them. And that's how it is when you have your conscience seared uh, and you're no longer able to to let your conscience speak to you because now it's weakened and you've deceived yourself. And so you can come to church and everything else, and everybody else, their, their lives are being consumed by the fire and they're putting things on the altar and God's consuming their failures. God's consuming their disappointments. God's consuming their Their situations, but other people can come and sit and fold their arms and look at you and never be moved and the fire's burning, the fire's moving, but they will not be transformed because they're conformed to this world. And so it's important that we understand that. And that's how Saul, Saul had spiritual cataracts. Let's look at 1 Samuel 15. I'm not going to get in a hurry. You know what? I've come to a place where I'm not getting in a hurry anymore. You know, we've got to come to a place where we're willing to sit down and study the Word of God and look at the Word of God and not hope that Brother Aber or somebody else gets up here and says something just to get us going for a few moments and then shut it down and just go about our business. But somehow we've got to stop long enough to have cataract surgery to where we can remove these cataracts so that we can see clearly. What the word of God saying. So I'm gonna to prove to you that Saul had spiritual cataracts. Let's take a look. First Samuel 15, starting with verse number two. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way, and when he came up from Egypt, and when he came up from Egypt, he says, Now listen to what he said, verse 3. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that have uh, all they have. And spare them not. Now, notice here's what this is what the word of God says Go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. Spare them not. Now, that's clear, right? That's clear. That's nothing hazy about that. That's nothing dull about it. When you see that, you can see it's clear. You can see that it's plain, it's simple. It's not hard. Amen. I'm going to tell you some people that don't love holiness and they got a gripe about everything. They really don't have a gripe because it's simple. Be ye holy for I'm holy. That's simple. There's nothing more simpler than that. Amen. Amen. Woo. So notice what he says Utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. He said, slay them all. Don't spare anybody. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havla. And notice what he said. Until thou comest to Sir, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Now, notice he he took uh, Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. He took them alive. Y'all see that? Y'all see what he did? He took them alive. Now, notice what it says now. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Now, notice he spared Amal- or King Agag. He spared him. But he utterly destroyed. I-, I want you to really catch what I'm saying here. See, when people uh, say they don't believe in holiness, uh, It's because they don't want to. It's because they have allowed themselves to become self-deceived because they rationalize what they want. And so their uh, spiritual vision becomes dull. There's a spiritual cataract. Well, holiness is a hazy issue when in reality it's not. So... He killed everyone except the king. It said, utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag. Now, notice what it says. Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and of the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuge, it says, notice, refuse. He said that they destroyed utterly. All those things they destroyed utterly, but they did keep the best of everything else. Because Saul disobeyed. Now, notice, Saul disobeyed God. God tells Samuel that he regretted making Saul king. So, Samuel, the man of God he is, he begins to cry out to God uh, about. All of that, that night, he began to cry out to God because it, it, it just, God regretted making uh, Saul king. As Samuel goes out to meet Saul, now here it is. As Samuel goes out to meet Saul, God tells Samuel that he had regretted. Now he regretted it. So we see that he's setting up a monument on Mount Carmel celebrating himself. So when Samuel goes out to see him, here's Saul building a monument. Man, he is excited about what he did. Now, God told him what he was supposed to do, and because he had spiritual cataracts, he thought he did it. And so because he's so excited, he builds a monument. See, there's a lot of people that that the Word of God says one thing, but because they have spiritual cataracts, because they have their conscience that has been Dulled, and all of a sudden now they rationalize and they become self-deceived, they begin to think that they really are living for God, even though they're not really doing what God told them to do, but they're close. They're close. You know, close. We always, you know, getting close. And we feel like we can just get close, Amen. I want you. I want this to sink in. I want you to hear what's happening here because here it is. Samuel goes out to meet Saul. He's building a monument on Mount Carmel, celebrating himself. Saul seems to believe that he's. Saul seems to believe that he's carried out the command of the Lord, but Samuel rebu- rebukes him. Notice uh, for not killing the Amalekite king and destroying the animals. So Saul has. Has become too proud, the Bible says. He's become too proud. Listen, when you come to the place that you feel like you don't have to be obedient to the word of God or the things that God puts in our life, you become too proud. When I came to God on April 9, 1980, and God got a hold of me, and God changed me. And when I came in, I came in a drug addict. I came in a drunk. I came in with a filthy mouth. I came in... With all this junk that I carried in. But man, when I went to an altar and I laid it on the altar. And I got rid of everything. And God got a hold of me. And I surrendered to God. And guess what, man? He removed those cataracts. I quit seeing things the way I used to see things. And I got the Holy Ghost. Got baptized in Jesus' name. And when I walked out, I walked out a new creature in Christ. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. And man, when that happened to me, all of a sudden my life changed. And I went from being a proud person. When I came to God, I had a chain around my neck that said, number one. I thought a lot about myself. But that night when I got the Holy Ghost and I got baptized in Jesus' name, I found out there was only one God. And I took that chain off, and I never put it back on. You know why? Because I had surrendered. God had caused spiritual cataract surgery on my eyes. I no longer looked at it like what Danny wanted. It was what Danny, the child of God, had to do. Amen. I was able to submit myself. Oh, but Brother Abraham, all the things you gave up, really? You want to go there? You really want to go there? Yeah, you had so much fun. Oh, yeah, that was fun. That was fun coming in drunk and putting your head down in a toilet. You understand that your head's not designed to go in that place, right? (laughs) You understand when you're building a house, you don't say, oh, that's going to be the toilet and I'm going to put my head down right there. And the world says, oh, you young people, man, that holiness, that ain't worth it, man. Look what you're missing, man. You're missing all this fun. And, and so you go out and you get drunk and then you bring your little old beautiful self back in the house one night and you're so sick and all of a sudden you've got your head down in the toilet and you're dry. Ooh! Ooh! Having fun yet? Yeah, we laugh, but you're not when you feel like the insides are coming up. Yeah, you're so stressed out, you want to get high, you spend all your money on dope, you don't have any money for food, so, you're, so you used to pull out the back seat of a car because you didn't have one that went into the trunk like they do now. And, and people that would sit in your car, the change would fall out of their pockets, and you'd pull up the back seat, and you'd dig around and try to find just enough money to get you a hamburger at Dairy Queen. Didn't have McDonald's when I was growing up. But think about it, a grown man, 20, 21 years old, pulling the back seat of a car up, trying to find enough money just to get a hamburger. Having fun yet? You young people, you think that's fun? You think it's fun when you, you, you hurt somebody and you think it's fun to be used by somebody? You think it's going to be, oh, you might be having fun at the moment. The Bible does say, she that liveth in pleasure. But it's only for a moment. The devil he, he took Jesus, he said, Jesus, uh, he showed Jesus, uh, what does it say? Everything he had in a moment. Everything the devil had, and he showed Jesus trying to tempt him, it was for a moment. I just don't believe holiness departments are important, so I'm just going to go out into the world. Well, you know what? You're only going to find that's fun for a moment. I think it's cool to smoke. Well, you just can't be cool one time. And start smoking. See if it don't turn into a habit because your conscience begins to be weakened. Oh, this is so much fun. I look so cool. I remember when I was a missionary in Guyana, this old guy, he was smoking pot. Dreadlocks. He was a Rastafarian. And I come by and he said, preacher, preacher. And I stopped and got out of the car. I said, what you need? He said, uh, what are you doing, preacher? I said, man, I said, Jesus lives in me. He said, "Salacia, he live in me. I said, well, he ain't going to live too long. I said, you about to smoke him out. <laughs> Self-deception. Finding something you can believe in and still do what you want to do, that's self-deception. That's what happens when you begin to allow your conscience to be weakened. And with every act of your conscience, it begins to weaken more and more to the place where you are so self-deceived that you cannot function without doing what you want to do when you want to do it. See, I, I didn't lose. Oh, Brother Abraham, look what you gave up. What did I give up? Hatred. I gave up bitterness. I gave up drugs. I gave up alcohol, profanity, immorality. Well, tell me, tell you, stop me, young people, when you get to something that I just couldn't have done without. I've been married 38 years. She's still my best friend. We still laugh and talk. and She's even getting to the part of her life where she can make fun of me and get away with it. He's getting feisty. And we laugh. But it's what love is. Because we both made a commitment to God. If you take... You're going to go out in the world, young people, and find a commitment out there without God. And you go, oh, I love him. Well, you know what? You ain't got a clue what love is because if you were in church and God showed his love to you and you saw what he had done on Calvary's cross and you repented and got baptized, Jesus ain't filled with the Holy Ghost. And then you go back out there saying, I'm not happy. Well, that's love right there. If you don't have that, you ain't going to find love out there. She that liveth in Pleasure is dead while she liveth, the Bible says. Dead while she liveth. So think about that. So Saul has become proud. Boy, that was a long way around that one, wasn't it? So when he was chosen to be king, he hid among the stuff because he didn't think that he was good enough. When God had to choose him, he was humble. But after he became king and he allowed his heart to be deceived and his conscience began to weaken because of self-deception, all of a sudden now we see he becomes proud. Now he believes that he can break God's law and get away with it. See, Samuel could not convince him that (coughs) what he was done was wrong. He couldn't convince him, excuse me. (coughs) And so it's important that you understand it because that's what's going to happen. You young people, especially, you listen to them, you think you know everything. You ain't got a clue about anything. Brother Abram, I know what I, how do you know what you want? You can't even tell me right now. Well, I, I want to go out and try the world. Why? Because uh, I want, uh, I want. I want to do this, and I want to do that. I think I know somebody that said that. I will. I, I, isn't that what the devil said? I, I, listen, anytime you get to that place where it's all about you fixing to be really disappointed. So here we go. Stay with me now, because we're going to go somewhere. So we see that Saul became too proud, and uh, he believes he can break God's law and get away with it. Samuel could not convince him that he has done wrong. Now, when a young person or even uh, an adult gets to the place they're doing wrong, and you try to tell them, and they don't want to hear it, you better start fasting and praying for that person because they're in a very dangerous place. Yes, sir. Oh, you young people, you're so vain, so vain. Some of you boys, every time I see y'all, y'all got a new hairdo. I and mean, growing up, it was girls that got new hairdo. Now the guys get it. Well, you run with that as long as you can because when you're my age, you'll just be glad you got some hair to do. There was a family I was witnessing to, and I witnessed so hard to them, and loved them, loved them. I rodeoed with one of them, and and uh, he was a great bareback bronc rider, one of the best I've ever seen. He, he just was a great guy. And, and uh, when I was growing up, and I didn't go to church, he didn't have a father, and my dad was like his father, and he'd come by on Sundays after he'd go to church, and we didn't go to church, and and he'd come by and he'd sit and talk to my dad, and my dad would talk to him, and we'd all run around together, and. Now that I got in church and I got the Holy Ghost baptized in Jesus' name, uh, Sister Aber was having our son, Ryan, and it was in Wharton, Texas, about uh, 26 miles from Bay City. And uh, on the way there, we would run by their house where you had a little farm and their little ranch right there and everything. And we'd go by it. And so I was taking Sister Aber, uh, to to Wharton to have, she could have our little boy, Ryan. And so she got over there, and, of course, it was just, Uh, false labor, but they kept her overnight. And on the way home, uh, I saw that his lights were on, and I decided I was going to stop in and see him and his wife, and they had a little girl. And so I stopped in and knocked on the door, and when I knocked on the door, uh, he saw me. He said, oh, come on in, Danny. He said, man, how you doing? I, I heard that God changed you. I said, yeah, man, I got the Holy Ghost, got baptized in Jesus' name. I've been preaching. God's so good to me. And I sat there, and I talked to him. And his wife was beautiful, one of the most beautiful women you'd ever see in your life, jet black hair. She was tall, and she was thin, and she, she was just a beautiful woman. And she was getting a contract to do modeling. And back then, that was a big thing. Now, they, they try to, everybody, if you look halfway decent, they'll get you to go try to get you to be a model. They just use you now. But there it was a big thing, and so she was sitting there, and she began to tell me about how an agency has called her, and she was going to be doing some modeling, and 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 the guy, he just won a big rodeo, and he was telling me about how much he loved to ride because when he would ride a horse and spur it and he'd get a big score, the the crowd would go nuts and clap and, and scream and holler and they'd jump up. And he said, there's not a feeling in the world better to hear a whole, whole rodeo arena full of people cheering for you. He said, man, Danny, I love that. And they said, I don't think we can walk away from that. And live for God right now. We just got too much to do. Now, you listen to me. This, this isn't a, uh, an exaggeration, I'm telling you. So, I go home and I get a call the next day that uh, Sister Abra goes into labor. And when I'm driving back up, guess what? The house is burnt to the ground. And I run and I get to the hospital. And I asked about that when I was going to see uh, uh, Ryan being born. So I went in there, and Ryan was born. And after Ryan was born and everything, I went up there and asked him them, and they said they were life to to uh, Galveston to the Shriners uh, burn center there. And so uh, after uh, Ryan had been born and everything, and it was just the next day, and uh, Lori was still in the hospital. Sister Ray was still in the hospital, and my mom had come up. And I told Sister Aberg what I was going to do, and she said, "Go ahead." And I drove over to that hospital in Galveston, which was about oh 120 miles away. And I got to Galveston. I walked in there. When I walked in there, uh, they told me, they said, "Who are you?" I said, "Well, I'm a minister with the Pentecostal Church. I come to pray for for my friend. I, I don't want to. If y'all ask me later, I'll tell you their names. But but I just I, I want to keep them." to a place where they have their privacy, and, and so here he is, he's laying there, and he can't see, Face is burnt, ears burnt, and, and he looks horrible, it, it's just terrible, and they got him, and they, they, uh, they're putting all this stuff on, and they, he's laying there, and I'm just uh, so horrible, and when he saw him, he said, Danny, I said, yeah, he said, Danny, he said, uh, uh, go, go pray for my wife, go pray for her, she's hurt bad, and and the little girl, he had grabbed her and busted out the window and threw her out. And he said when they busted out the window that the fire swept into that room because it was searching for that oxygen. And he said that he grabbed his wife. She, her hair was on fire. He said, Danny, she was on fire. Everything was burning on her. And I just grabbed her, and I threw her out the window. And he said, by that time, the fire was burning me. And he said, I dove out. When he dove out, there was a piece of glass that ripped him from his knee up to his thigh And just just ripped his leg open. He just fell out. And the neighbors came and drug him away. Got him to the house. He said, go pray for my wife. When I went in there, her ears were gone. Her nose was gone. Her eyelids. um... You young people, you listen to me. Last thing she told me is, I don't think I can give up modeling. I I don't think I can let that go right now. And now, she's burnt so bad. Horrible. And the doctor and the nurse was there, and when I went to pray for her, they said, you, you can't touch her. I said, that's fine. And I put my hand over her head, and I began to pray for her, and I began to speak in tongues. And a tear rolled out, which I didn't know. When somebody gets burned, that tear ducts, they, if they start having tears, then that's a good sign. And tears began to run down her face because I began to pray for her, and I began to speak in tongues, and the Holy Ghost came down in that room. It was unbelievable when that Holy Ghost fell down that room. And the doctor and the nurse began to just weep and cry, and the power of God was there. And after I prayed for her and everything, she still wasn't able to respond to me or anything, but those tears come out. And when I walked out, that doctor stopped me. He says, I'm Assembly of God, and I just wanted to tell you that I felt the power of God in that place. I don't think she's going to recover. And let me tell you, within six months, she was out of the hospital. Now, she didn't have that jet black hair anymore. She wasn't that beautiful girl that she once was, but I got news for you. God reached down and touched her, and she felt the presence of God. Sometimes what I'm trying to tell you, young people, don't you dare play around with what God's trying to do with you. Don't you dare run out to this world and think, I can get away with it and come back anytime I want. The world doesn't work with you the same way God does. God's love is there, but if you're self-deceived, if you think, I can do what I want to do it, it's not going to be okay. Amen? 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 You listen to me, young people. When God deals with you, he's doing it for a reason. He loves you. Don't play around with the presence of God. Amen? So here we go. We see that. We see that. So Saul he became proud, but then we saw that that he was dealt with. Samuel couldn't convince him that he had done wrong, so he said, God's rejected you as king. As soon as he was rejected as king, man, all of a sudden he just fell apart. All of a sudden he he got upset because he was losing his position. The truth of his rationalization is, to, yeah, is about to get very real. For Saul in verses 12 through 26. Let's take a look. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and is gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed. The commandments of the Lord. Man, he is proud of himself, isn't he? He said, blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. See, a lot of y'all, you've come in here today and you said, oh, God, bless me. I'm living for you. I'm doing everything. But are you doing it according to the word of God? Are you doing it according to what you think is the word of God? Mm. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this, the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen, which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people. Now, notice, this is what Saul said. For the people. Remember what I talked about blaming others? I hope you're grabbing this. I hope I'm going slow enough for you to really understand what's taking place. That's these spiritual cataracts. Notice what he says. And Saul said, They have brought uh, them from the Amalekites. They have. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly, and the rest we, now he included himself, we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said unto me this night. And he said unto him, say on. He said, go ahead, tell me what the Lord told you. And Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, now he's looking at the man of God in his face, and Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Spiritual cataracts. utterly destroy everything and he says I have destroyed I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag the king of the Amalek." think about what he's saying here I've done and i performed everything and I brought the king of Ag, uh, Agag Agag I means from Amalekah I brought I brought him Brought Agag there. Notice what he's saying. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way of the Lord. Sent me and have uh, brought Agag the king of the Amalekites. Am- Am- Am. Now notice and have utterly destroyed Amal- and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Remember, rationalization means to cause something to appear reasonable. Galatians six, seven, and eight says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall reap. Now notice what it says. Shall reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. So here we are. But uh, verse 21. Back to Saul. But the people took the spoil. But the people. See what's happening here? Blaming. But the people took the spoil. Sheep. And, oxen, and the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, hath the Lord as great uh, delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in the uh, obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of ram. So we see that self-deception, seeking reformation, trying to redefine God's command thinking his good works will excuse his disobedience. Now, notice, that's what he was thinking. Oh, even though I'm doing good, that'll excuse my disobedience. Just because you come and sing, just because you come to church and clap your hands does not mean God's going to excuse your disobedience. I got to hurry up. Verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as Iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word uh, of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. So we see that, and that's where I'm going to have to stop because uh, in verse 27, Samuel turns to leave, and Saul grabs him, and it because ri- he he don't want he don't want Samuel to leave now because he knows that God's rejected, him. and when he's leaving, he grabs him and rips his rips his robe and stuff. He he. He's wanting so much for Samuel to bless him. That's where we're going to stop and pick it back up. But I'm going to tell you something. There's going to come a time in your life if you're disobedient to God. And you begin to have those spiritual cataracts. You begin to live for God the way you want to. And you think, oh, I'm going to get away with it. And I'll come back whenever you want to. The night after I talked to that couple, later that night, that house burnt to the ground. Every head bow, just a second. I don't know why I happened to stop there that night on the way home, but God did. God did. I wished every young person was in this place this morning when I told that story. When she said, I don't think I could walk away from that modeling contract. I just don't think I could do that. I'm finally where I want to be in my life. I'm doing things I've always wanted to do. And and I and it just was I all night, I and I and I. But when she lost everything, she knew that it was God, his love. His love that came down in that room, it was his love that caused that deer t- that, that tear duck to, to form that tear and let it run down her face. When they say that uh, it, a burn patient, that's like a miracle. That, that, that's a sign that there can be recovery. And what I'm trying to tell you today, if you've been doing your own thing, all you got to do is come down to this altar today and all you got to do is let God touch you and be in his presence just like she was and her husband was. And begin to cry out to God and let your tears flow. And then the presence of God will come down just like in that room. And he will bring healing to your life. And you'll be able to wake up from that little old cataract surgery that he's going to give you. And you're going to be able to say, I can see clearly now. Because now I see what God's purpose in my life is. It's not about what I want. It's about what God has for me, and then he'll give me to the desires of my heart. God bless you. I hope that you listen to this today. We'll do it again. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Amen.